I'm going to begin this morning with the reading of the Word of God, Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, and we read this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Now, if you want to really know what that sounded like, you've got to get the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. You'll know exactly what God sounded like when he said. (laughs) And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. We are now entering the last little bit of a series, which I thought was going to be short because I knew that our time away from one another was going to be short. I originally referred to it as a a, a short series with a long name. Well, it's taken much longer than I realized. Had no idea what would be coming. Title of the series is Understanding God's Redemptive Purposes During National Distress. We began with specific distresses. We looked at Joseph, the famine, Moses, these people who were oppressed, David with the plague, and others. And what we noted in each of these circumstances is that God was being faithful in specific times. At these specific moments when there was this national distress, God was always faithful. Then we began to expand out from these places. We expanded our time frames until, as we kept moving out further and further, we came to an international, a time of international distress, and that as we came to the book of Revelation, 
And we saw Christ's return. And he was going to return as the Alpha and Omega. That opened up for us thematic studies. Because by declaring himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, we said, you know, it's worth taking a look at that. And so we shifted our emphasis a little bit in the midst of, of looking now at this international time of stress, and it will be a crazy time when it happens. And in those thematic studies, we saw this one who is creator, victor, life giver, dweller, divider, inviter. And in each of these cases, what we saw by looking at the beginning and the end, we saw that God is faithful over all time. So he's faithful in specific times. And then we saw that he's been faithful over all of time. And today, as we begin wrapping this up, we now are looking at between the Alpha and Omega. And what we want to do is consider God's faithfulness during our time. We're between Alpha and Omega, are we not? We're going to now see God's faithfulness specifically right now. Now, here's a foundation from which we're going to be working, friends. God is working out an eternal redemptive plan. An eternal redemptive plan. We're going to look at three different passages briefly, and then we're going to look at them again. And the first time that we look at them, I want you to listen for how you know this plan is indeed eternal. We begin with John 17, that magnificent passage where Jesus Christ is with his disciples. They've shared the Lord's table that night, and now he prays for them. You need to read John 17. Just sometimes you just need to stop and read John 17 and let that prayer bless you. I want to pick it up in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. Before time, space, history even existed, the Son was in a perfect love relationship with the Father. Then we look at what Peter has to say. Chapter 1 of his first letter, verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Do you catch that? He was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God had determined, again, before time, space, history, this one, the Alpha and the Omega, before time, space, history even existed prior to that, that the Son would have a place in his redemptive plan. Huh. And then Ephesians chapter 1. We'll look at verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as 
He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You picked it up there, didn't you? Before time, space, history even existed, we were chosen to be in Christ. This is an eternal redemptive plan that God is working out. Now, the next thing we need to note is that as God is working out an eternal redemptive plan, God's eternal plan has various temporal expressions. What I mean by that very simply is this. We, we can see the plan as eternal. It goes, whoa, before time, it finishes up after time, continues on, got that. But in time, space, history, there are realities of this plan that, that express themselves, that play themselves out, that become a very real thing. So let's look at those verses again, same verses. We're going to now pass through. We're going to pick up that very real thing that happens in time, space, history. Father, John 17, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. So here his prayer is that there's some point that's what's going to be the fulfillment of this prayer. There is, this, there is at some point where those who are Christ's are not only with him, but they are then able to see the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ as it existed prior to time, space, history, and this plan being worked out. That's his prayer. That's a real thing that is going to happen. 1 Peter Chapter 1, again, verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from the fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. It was determined prior to time, space, history that Christ would accomplish this magnificent work. And Peter says, and he was manifest in these times. This is the point that God had ordained when he would take on flesh and go to that cross and we would be redeemed by it, by his work alone, the precious blood of Christ. There was a place in time when that happened. Third passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This choosing that took place in Jesus Christ has a result that we now have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And that we will be made holy and without blemish and stand before him because of what he has done. That took place in real time, space, history. So you following me? I know I'm repeating it because I want you to go with me because the next step, you got to have this before you come with me to the next step. God is working out an eternal redemptive plan before the foundation of the world. 
God's eternal plan has various temporal expressions. And we, we've just seen Christ came. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. The day is going to come when we're going to see him in his glory. Those are all things that are going to work out God's redemptive plan, which is eternal. So those are temporal expressions. Now, here's where you need to go with me. Our task, I'm going to speak about us as a church this morning and probably next week. Our task is to be that temporal expression of his eternal plan that he has designed for us. Our task is to be that temporal expression. We are here in time, space, history to be effectively that expression of his eternal plan, stuff that he had determined before we even existed, that he has designed for us. That's what we need to be about as a church. That's what we need to be striving for collectively. We have worked for nearly 26 years now with this philosophy of ministry. And you got to have a philosophy of ministry. Everybody does. And that is that each local church has its own expression and its own responsibilities before God. Everyone does and everyone will answer for it. Now, I don't know of any, I don't know of any particular Bible verse that says it that way, but I would ask you to consider the first opening chapters of the book of Revelation, where seven specific churches are all held to account as a church. That there is something that God expects of us, each, individually, as churches. Now, there are general things that we all are going to need to share. Every one of us as a church. For instance, one of them would be holiness. We're going to deal with that topic again. The question of holiness. The question of being set apart for God's purposes. God's working out an eternal plan, an eternal purpose. We need to get in touch with that. That'll be holiness. We also need to be word-centered. That the scriptures define what we are about. The scriptures define our worldview. That the word of God as he has revealed it informs our minds. And so then we work from that as a, as a place of understanding and as a place of how we grasp things that are around us and what we believe God would have us to do. So it has to first be word-centered, and if we are word-centered, it will be Christ-centered if we truly are. Because, friends, you cannot understand the Bible. You cannot understand how God is, re is revealing this eternal redemptive plan that has its expression in temporal, uh, in temporal expressions, meaning in time, space, history. You cannot read that and understand it without grasping, if you're going to be honest with yourself, that Christ alone is the center of that redemptive plan. And that there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And I know sometimes we get to these nice fluffy places where we go, oh, we all worship the same God. There are many ways to God. And God loves everybody, so everything's good. Wrong. If you're going to be honest with the scriptures, Christ alone is our hope. And we must have our hope in him. And we looked at that as him being God is the divider. He invites us into fellowship with him. But if we reject that fellowship, he then becomes the divider and says, hmm. Sorry, it all happens in my son, Jesus Christ. 
So those are general things that every church will be held accountable for. But then there are specific things that I believe make each church unique. And sometimes when we consider these things, I find because I want to do what's right and I want to have a thriving fellowship and good things that are happening, sometimes I find this, this kind of thought can be threatening. And here's what I mean by that. There are churches around us, within proximity to us, who, who have a Celebrate Recovery program. And God uses it. He does. And so it's like, oh, should we have a Celebrate Recovery program? Is that what we should be doing? Well, maybe at some point we might. We might need to have that. But right now, we have not sensed that God has led us into that. And we have had, I've had people sit right in this room say, I've gotten more out of sitting in a Bible study with men around this table than I had of any recovery group I've ever been in. They've been in a lot of them. Because God is going to use each one uniquely within the context of that particular fellowship. Previous church that Lori and I served at, they actually had a social activism committee. They wanted to be socially active. And at the time, mostly what they did was uh, go out and, 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 and picket Planned Parenthood and things like that. And that was something they felt they needed to do. Prior to that, a church that I served in, and it's only happened since that, that Lori and I were there, um, they birthed a good news club. And they have an after-school program where they use child evangelism fellowship uh, materials, and they get 50, 60 kids out after school um, during the week for their program. It's wonderful. Are we supposed to do that? Well, maybe one day, but we haven't sensed. That's what God would have us to do. You understand what I'm saying? Each one is unique, and our goal is to understand, God, what would you have us at this place in time, space, history to do? How would you have us to be an expression of your redemptive work? And for us, there have been things that have been unique. There's a number of Awana programs going in our area right now. Do you know that? This sounds, I don't mean it to sound proud, but we pioneered Awana in this program, in this area. Do you know that? I'll never forget having a discussion with Cheryl Leveland about Awana and, and what we talked about at that time. And we helped other churches get started with Awana. We have a unique detour ministry, and they're going for the first time, a historic fire to Dusty and Abbey's on the 24th. It's going to be awesome. But that's very unique, what you see in terms of that ministry, in terms of churches our size. It's been very unique. On and on we could go. I thought off the top of my head, was able to write down 13 things immediately that are unique to us. All right because they are unique to God's calling in our lives. But then, something else that God has given us, and here's where I need you to go with me. Be a little patient with me, if you will. God has given us something, which I don't know how you, how you name it, I don't know how you identify it, other than I will refer to it as seasonal, regional events. We have been willing to put in the effort to host events that go way outside the bounds of these walls. And for the time that we have been here, it's about every two and a half years, there seems to be a prompting for something. On average, it's about every two and a half years. I'm not going to go through the more than 13 that I have listed here. Again, they came very quickly. All of them were significant. I'm going to just speak briefly so you know the kind of thing I'm talking about. 
God has called us in our own temporal expression to be part of his kingdom work. First one comes to mind to me is a number of years back, about nine years ago now, we had 9-11, Remember America. Now that's at the end of a long list prior to it. I got 10 things listed prior to that, okay? The only reason I mention that one is within the last three weeks, and I am not exaggerating, I had somebody thank me for the 9-11 Remember America uh, event that took place. Nine years later, still being thanked for that. God did that. You know, when we began playing with that idea, we thought it'd be kind of an interesting thing to do. We wound up having connection with the news media with that one. You know, I had the people back when there was a television station in Grand Forks, and I had them tell me, we have looked for other people celebrating the 10th anniversary of the Twin Towers being struck, and there's no one else doing anything around here. God called us, this little fellowship here, to put on that event that this many years later, I'm still getting a thank you for every so often. Something only God could do, friends, but I'm trying to get you feel for he's called us outside of our walls. A few years back, there was a sense that we need to have the power team back. Woohoo! That's why I'm wearing this today. Those of you visiting with us, I don't always wear hoodies in the pulpit. But I wanted you to be reminded that was an incredible event. By the time that was done, I believe... I know I'm at least close. There were 34 separate events that took place around the area. I think one took place within the confines of our church. And the other 33 were outside of our church because God has, has given us a vision and a desire to minister to our area. And we have been willing to step outside of these walls. And most recently was the county fair. When the county was putting in new grandstands a few years back, they wanted to move the worship center, the community worship center, that, or worship service that takes place and under a little tent area out in the grass. And they said, we want to move it into the grandstand. We'd like your church to hold a service there. Well, they understood that we've done some things outside our walls. So they approached us. Would we be willing to do this? But here's how God works, friends. And those of you who are on the board, you'll never forget this. When God works in this way, you don't forget this. Because I got that call on a Tuesday morning. We were having a board meeting Tuesday night. And a guy called me and said, would you guys be willing to do a service in the grandstand? And I'm like, well, we're meeting tonight. I can let you know tomorrow. We'll talk about it tonight. I had no clue when I said, yes, we'll talk about it, that at that same meeting that evening, we were going to get another request. It ultimately came from Mike and Sarah Bauman. We were going to get another request. Is it possible somewhere along the line over the summer that we could, we could utilize Lori Line, who was going out and doing worship services in churches? We had no clue both of these were coming to that board meeting. And somebody threw out the idea, hey, what if, what if we did the grandstand and asked Lori Lyon to be there? 
Wouldn't that be kind of cool? And immediately you could feel the energy flowing with that and a sense of maybe God is putting something together. And we had 14 to 1,500 people in the grandstand that morning. I was told, I don't know if it's accurate because I can't get to everything that takes place at the fair, but I was led to believe that for all the events that took place at the fair on that particular year where the grandstand was used for people to be on a stage, not talking about the demolition derby out behind the stage, that that event brought in the most people. You know, we took a risk with that event. Each one of these things, we took a risk because we knew when we made the decision to bring in Lori Line and what the different costs, we kind of let them go, you know, we got about, I forget it was four or five grand at risk here. If this whole thing falls through, this is coming right out of our funds. But the board believed God was calling us to do something outside these walls. And when it was done, not only were the expenses all met, but we were able to grant to two local within Marshall County charities significant sums of money by an offering that was, that was taken. And we get done with that and we say, God alone put that together. So this is something that we have experienced time and time again. Can I point out each time we did it, each time it happened, there was risk involved because we did not know for sure the outcome. But each time it was the intention that we move outside these walls and minister to Northwest Minnesota in a unique way. We didn't do everything. We haven't done everything that came our way as a possibility. But we did these things believing the Lord was in them. And you may ask, how did you know the Lord was in them? Well, it seems to me it's kind of a piecemeal thing. Well, think of Genesis 24, where Abraham sent out his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And he goes along. You can read it for yourself in Genesis 24. He's doing what, what he was asked to do. And God sovereignly brings the wife for Isaac. And he described, the, the servant describes it, I being on the way, the Lord led me. He was just doing what he was supposed to be doing. And that redemptive history account, it all was part of God's redemptive history and God's account as God was working in the early nation of Israel. So there's part of that. We're just kind of going along, trying to do the things that we need to be doing. The second part, I think, comes, we have a piece of Acts 15 when they had the Jerusalem council. And they made some decisions. And they sent a letter out from their decisions. And in the letter it said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I always chuckle when I read that. <laughs> if it seems good to the Holy Spirit, I think we stop there and just do it. But, but you know, we kind of agreed with the Spirit on this one. But that's how it's written. And that, that's what it says. But they just had this sense that after they'd had their long discussions... This, what, this is where we believe God is moving us collectively and the response we need to give to the people who've asked a question about circumcision. So there's a little of that that takes place. But I think there's also a bit of Exodus chapter 3, which we read, and I read that specifically for, for our admonition or our edification today, if you will, because as, as Moses 
Here's what God said to Moses in that last verse as Moses had begun and asked, Who should I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? <laughs> Who am I? All right? He's been off the scene for 40 years. A nobody. God says in verse 12, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Dude, I want the sign ahead of time. I don't want the sign, you know, after I've put everything at risk, taken all the beatings, had all the hate, and then for the sign. I need the sign now to keep me moving through those things. But they came back, and they worshipped at that mountain. And God indeed was with them. And we have had that experience time and again. Well, we were able to get done and gather together as a board, who a few months ago, we sensed God leading us to ask Lori Line to come, and our next board meeting, we're like, we have to stop and give God praise. Because he did this. And he alone could have pulled off what took place there. And we have experienced that. So here's how it worked. There's a risk. We move out on faith. We don't know till later what, whether it worked or not. There are no guarantees. And sometimes that's kind of frightening to move there. But the decisions have been made believing in this one God is asking us to break outside of our walls. So I've told you all of that to get to what I want to say. Anybody need to run to the bathroom right now, get a drink of water? Like I said, I could get done here by 12.15. I can get make it home on time. Lori will not be mad at me. True story. Last August or September, I had something beginning to press upon my spirit. Somehow, and it's, everything I'm going to tell you is going to be very vague, somehow I had this sense that when we got to the Lord's table service, which we do here every year right before Easter, we do it every year, we love that service, it's very intimate, and um, it has blessed us. But back in August, September, I can't say exactly when, but I knew something has to change with that particular service, months ahead of it ever being here. Something has to change. And I also had this inkling that somehow that change needs to incorporate the understanding of how the Passover led right into the Lord's table. You following me? Because don't forget, the Lord's table was introduced at a Passover meal. Didn't Jesus say to his Disciples, it is with great fervor that I have desired to eat this Passover meal with you. He did. And I felt like we need a teaching opportunity. We need to refresh what is happening here. Something must change. I didn't know what that was. Amber will attest that as soon as she showed up in January, I began bugging her. Amber, I don't know what it is. But I do know that come that service, we have to do something different, and it's going to entail music, so you need to be thinking about that. And I bugged her and bugged her and bugged her. You may recall last January, there was something we kept putting in the bulletin, and I think, Tim and Tanya, I think you were there, it's called um, Fiddler on the Roof with a Purpose. You came, right? 
Even then, I was still vague with people. Some of you probably go, what do you mean Fiddler on the Roof with a Purpose? Yeah, we watched the movie Fiddler on the Roof, long movie. Well, the only longer movie than that that I've ever shown is The Ten Commandments. All right? That's even longer. But at least I knew it from The Ten Commandments how God sounded when he was talking to Moses. So there was something to be learned there. But The Fiddler on the Roof with a Purpose. What was my purpose? So we got all done with it. At the very end of the movie, there's this little Jewish woman who hopes to do the Passover next year in Jerusalem. And I use the entire movie just to say to these people, have any of you got a fresh idea when we come to that service before Easter on how we can somehow bring in the Passover and something different? Does anything come to mind for everyone? The only thing that came to anybody's mind at that point was, it's time to go home. <laughs> so I left there just a little bit like, oh, Lord, I was hoping that was going to generate something, and it did not, other than they thought I was crazy. So then we keep moving along, and what I was anticipating, somehow we need to have a meal out in the worship center, and then we're going to come in here and do the Lord's table or something. But it has to include a meal. That's all I could go with. Still in a fog. We come to the time when there is uh, Easter coming. And a few short weeks before Easter. They shut things down. Now, how are we going to do that service that has been literally on my mind for months? What are we going to do? Well, as we did that first service, because we had two of them during the time of the shutdown, so I refer to that. As we did that, Stovey had set us up with a very, to begin with, a very crude uh, camera of which we were anticipating was going to become our new equipment, which is wonderful, isn't it? It is wonderful. The idea came to mind, wait a second. We're moving our services out onto the internet with ease because the technology is here to move your service out on the internet with ease. We can invite people from all over to share this service with us. So sometimes I get excited and sometimes I do stupid and crazy things. I did two things in all of my excitement and my stupidity. One, I, uh, I actually bought a website which I still own, and it's available to you if you want to buy this website, okay? And I'll let you have it at a good price, I promise. I'm not sure it'll ever get used, but I invested money in a website, number one. But number two, I threw something out, kind of in a hurry, kind of a, whoa, this would be exciting. And, and I threw it, and I never post on Facebook. Uh, next to never. Maybe once a year, but I mean, it's pretty scarce. I said, hey, folks, we're having a service. Why don't you find us online and join us for the service? Have the elements in your home. You know what I had happen the next day after we had that service? I had two friends from high school. Two friends from high school, one from Indiana, one from Florida, sent me a message the next day and said, hey, I was there with my spouse. We enjoyed your service. Thank you for inviting us. And that confirmed to me that the idea that was generating was possible. And here's the idea. Remember, I'm the guy who I cannot get my arms around what we're supposed to do about the Lord's table for months. Wouldn't it be incredible? 
utilizing the ease of the internet, if we gathered people literally from around the world to share next Easter, on Good Friday, to share the Lord's table together. The technology is now there. The possibility is it could work. You know, this isn't something you can promote by, by putting posters around towns. Okay, who's going to go to Greenbush and put up posters there? Who's going who's to cover Stephen with our posters? No, but the technology is there with social media that this could be pushed out. So the goal is to gather believers internationally around the bread and cup of the new covenant, followed by, and this is important, acts of kindness in Jesus' name. Because when we did this service, we always said, would you express some love to people around you? Would you make sure you don't leave here? Like, okay, we got done with this, let's go. You know, no. It's like, take a moment and bless someone. And I, I've described this service, this is a service where we hug each other the most right here. And the vision with this, friends, the vision is that Jesus Christ will be proclaimed and glorified while using this one service a year to build his church. You following me? I don't know, maybe just because it's a nice round number, but wouldn't it be incredible? Wouldn't it be incredible if next year at that service we have a million believers around the world sharing the Lord's table together because we now have the technology to be able to do it. And wouldn't it be incredible if only, if only half of them picked up the challenge to go now do something in the love of Jesus Christ to reach out to someone else? Wouldn't that be incredible to have 500,000 people around the world ministering in the name of Jesus Christ because they've just shared the Lord's table with a million other believers? Can you see that? This is outside our walls a bit, friends. This is a little bigger than we are. Why would we do this? You've been hearing me say for a number of years, if you've been listening, that we need a teaching and clarifying operation or, or opportunity for our younger generation. There needs to be something that a younger generation can sink their teeth in. And guess what? We're going to need the young generation to use social media to get this out there. They have to be a part of this. So that excites me. It's going to be a great teaching opportunity because it's going to be able to allow us to make that connection. Remember I said in this urgency, somehow the Passover has to tie into this thing. I've been thinking on that. What was the Passover? The Passover was a memorial. So twice, you read the account twice. That this will be a memorial as to how God delivered them from oppression when they you know, killed the, uh, the lamb, put the, door on the, uh, the blood on the doorpost, and then judgment passed over them. That's why it's called the Passover. Well, it would pass over you when I see the blood on the doorposts. Now we come from this side of things and we have a memorial. It's called the Lord's table. Jesus said, or Paul said, what did he say? As often as you eat this bread? No, he, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. 
All right, that's what Jesus said at that. He wanted that memorial to continue. Two memorials, the Passover memorial and the Lord's Table memorial. However, because we're further down and God is revealing what he's doing, how about this for a thought? To us who understand that that blood on the doorpost is a picture of Jesus Christ and his death when we are protected by his blood, when we're under the protection of his blood, judgment passes over us and we do not get judged for our sin because he has taken it upon himself. We now see that that doorpost is a picture of Christ's cross. And to us, that memorial becomes a Primorial. Got another word for you. Sorry, Jill. They just keep coming, girl. I want you to hang on to this one. This one, a primorial. Think about this, friends. Who but God would put 14 centuries ahead of the event is tell you, hey, I want you to keep remembering this. I want you to keep remembering this. I want you to keep remembering this. What am I remembering? I don't know what I'm remembering. It's like, boom. And on that very day, the fulfillment of what they had been, what they had been pick, putting into a picture for takes place. So that as it's the time for them to, as it is time for them to, to kill the lambs for their Passover meals, on that day of preparation, Jesus is under trial and the crowd yells, crucify him, crucify him. So they had, he would be dragged off to be crucified as the Passover lamb at the time while the other lambs are being prepared. Now, friends, I'm sorry. I think this is one of the most incredible apologetics that I've never seen before for the truth of God's word and the magnificence of what he's doing. Who else but God could put that together? A primorial for centuries that its reality became known on the very specific day of the Passover. Unbelievable. So it magnifies the moment of crucifixion and that, hey, it is central. We've said that. You said amen to that, all right? It gives credence to the fact that no other name under heaven uh, whereby we must be saved. There is no other name. Absolutely not. This is how God revealed himself in this primorial waiting century upon century for the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. There's no one, there's no event in all of history that compares to this. You guys have been to memorials. We passed one yesterday when we were up in Lake Bronson. They have this wonderful war memorial. They always are about things in the past, right? You ever see somebody build a memorial and say, well, hey, what's this memorial for? I don't know. I think something's going to happen in another thousand years, and so I'm putting memorial to that. They're like, yeah, well, you're stupid. That's exactly what God did. He put a premorial in place. Think about that, friends. Think about that. Here's what I'm most concerned about a younger generation. If they get to see God use this and use them in this so that it truly does impact the world with the power I believe it can, it can have, this will be adequate to keep them serving Jesus Christ for the rest of their lives. They will get it to see God move in a powerful way like this.
That's one. A teaching clarifying opportunity. Two, we're in a spiritual battle, friends. And I said at the outset of this whole, of this whole lockdown thing, I said, trying to guess, what's the world going to be like? Because the world's different. The world will never be the same. And I, my thought was the world will be smaller and it'll be more centralized. And I believe that's going to be the case. Partly because of this technology that connects us all. And we're going to see things and, and be able to experience things around the world. And there's going to be a voice calling, a humanistic, godless, uh, man-centered voice calling for us all to come together because we're all good people. And that voice is going to go out on that same internet. And it's going to, people are going to think the warm fuzzies and think that's all great. There needs to be a contrasting voice that says, folks, we're not all that great. We're in need of salvation. And I believe this can be that voice that says to the world, Christ alone is our hope. We do not, we do not veer from that message. And I think from a spiritual battle standpoint, this could become a very significant front in the battle. Now, it might be that what we're doing right now and some things are being put in place, you can ask me about them later if you want, I don't go into those. We might be the start or only a part because I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if other pastors had the same thought and went, hey, wait a second, we could go big with this. But it is possible that one of God's redemptive purposes in this pandemic, remember the title of this, what we called it? It was such a long name, I have to keep reading it. Understanding God's redemptive purposes during national distress. It is possible, at least to my way of thinking, that the point of one of the things God intended with this pandemic, because he allowed it to happen, was for a new way for the gospel to go forth. For a new way for Jesus Christ to be proclaimed. We end every, every Lord's table service with 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Every time we share the Lord's table, it is a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And is it possible that God says it's time to give a new voice to the gospel? I want to just throw something out. You, goes, uh, 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 you do any studying in a formal setting in a Christian school, they're going to tell you something about the end of the 400 silent years from the end of the Old Testament. Four centuries, the heavens seem to be closed. And then when Christ is on the scene, 400 years later, and they will tell you this from a historical perspective. A number of things were in place that made the spread of the gospel possible. One were the roads, the Roman roads. They allowed people to move readily. And as they move, they carry a message with them, right? We know that. They carry stuff with them. Sometimes what they carry is good, sometimes not. It's the same thing with us when, this, when the virus came. Hey, we shut down travel. Why? Because you don't want to carry the bad stuff, because you carry stuff with you. Well, they carried the message of the gospel with them. The second thing, they had a common language. Let me quite agree. Third thing that they had is what's called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And Rome loved peace. They didn't want things to be upset. And so it allowed people to move freely. These three things were all in place. And the historians will tell you, they allowed for the gospel to move readily out of that early church. What about the possibility that today, in this day and age, technology is in place? And that it took this pandemic for us to bring these ideas together and say, huh, we have all pushed 
We have all pushed the Lord's table outside of our walls. We have an internet that allow us to push it around the world. It's like a road, isn't it? It's available. It's out there. Wouldn't that be incredible? If God were to use this in that way? I'll tell you one last thing that makes this so cool to me. If indeed we get to either be the start or a part of such a thing, that a million believers in another year will be sharing the Lord's table together. If indeed that happens, can I just tell you how proud of you I am? See, because what made it work, what brought it to mind, was simply the technology that these guys are sitting back here so faithfully putting forth. Would never have considered this as a possibility until we were forced to do it. But you know how we got that technology? I love this. You as a congregation, by faith, made a decision that we needed to upgrade a sound system. Lori and I were on vacation in Florida. Had nothing to do with it. And you as a congregation, when, you, when there was, yes, we need a new sound system, apparently in that discussion, because I wasn't there, it's the best I can understand it, uh, it had been known that, hey, for another $1,500, we could get a camera one day. And somebody spoke up and said, uh, let's get the camera now. Let's do that now. While we're putting this in, let's get the camera. So the impetus to this Lori and I had nothing to do with. We can take no pride in it. We can take no, like, ooh, look what we, we're pushing, and look what we're making happen. Forget about it. It was you, your faithfulness before the Lord. And if it becomes something, because there's always a risk, if it becomes something, it's born out of your faithfulness and your trust in God to continue to move this ministry forward. And that excites me. I'm going to wrap it up. A couple things. We need prayer. We're going to need and I said at the outset of this whole pandemic, wouldn't it be amazing if we became stronger as a church because of it? Well, friends, I believe this has the chance to strengthen us. We'll have more time to talk about it. Can we pray, please? Can we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you that you are good and gracious. And Lord, thank you that you are faithful in that we can watch it at pinpoint times in the past, at specific times. We can watch it in the overarching of the Alpha and the Omega who has always been faithful and been there and been engaged. And Father, that knowing those two truths, we can trust you that you may be calling us once again to step outside of our walls in a significant way with new technology and new opportunities. Lord, I pray that you will guide us in that. I, we don't want to get ahead of you. Uh, but if you indeed are prompting to this, nor do we want to just drop it because we've seen you work in this way in our midst so many times before, Lord. So we believe you could be doing it again. So we yield ourselves to you now for further direction and clarity in the days ahead. We don't want to do anything if it doesn't bring glory to Jesus Christ, Father. And so we just ask you to give us wisdom. As, uh, as we consider to think about these things. Thank you for those who are with us today, Lord. Thank you for those who might have listened at home. And uh, may your grace abound towards each of us, for we indeed need your grace. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.